moon hanging in the cold winter sky. Rows and rows of shoes and boots at the door. Candles burning down, emitting light. A little hint of those sparks from the <coughs> flash paper <laughs> as we sit for this special year-end kindling light of wisdom, heart, and mind. Welcome in from the Ten Directions, brothers, sisters, and friends. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening, Good evening. Good my name is Haju. Um, as um, Ilcho said, uh, I am from our Ann Arbor temple, but I'm originally from here. Actually, I'm originally from Vancouver, but then I came across um, many, many years ago and started at the temple when I was in Toronto. And then we kind of had a missionary effort to the U.S., then my husband and I went and did that. And from time to time, now come back, and it's always, it's always a pleasure. How many? I like to make a little survey before I give a little message. Um, how many of you have been at this service before? Once, twice, three times, four times, five times. Six. <laughs> I think we could go on. <laughs> that means that some of you are welcome back for sure, over and over again, and welcome to all of those you who have I like. Um, I started a few days ago thinking, as I usually do, about what to share with you this evening, and it's changed in those few days. And um, so what I came up with just a moment ago is the title will be, um, What Should I Do? <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't think it would be funny like that. <laughs> it's just because in this world, um, there's um, so many things that come at us, and in so many almost requests for help. And so my my question is then, what should I do? And then, so let me first share. I'm going to share uh, three first uh, some scripture from the Buddha from this little book called the Dhammapada. It's kind of a Reader's Digest collection of his teachings. It's a handy thing to have in your pocket. And I'd like to read the first two pages. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with an impure mind, and trouble will follow you as the wheel follows the ox that draws 
the cart. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with a pure mind, and happiness will follow you as your shadow unshakable. Look how he abused me and beat me, how he threw me down and robbed me. Live with such thoughts and you live in hate. Look how he abused me and beat me, how he threw me down and robbed me. Abandon such thoughts and live in love. In this world, hate never yet dispelled hate. Only love dispels hate. This is the law, ancient and inexhaustible. Only love. Love is an overused word so that any kind of substantial kind of meaning gets lost, I think. And in Buddhism, we have four concepts for the word love. Compassion, loving kindness, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. And there's a whole other part of love, which is, I think, held in the word intimacy. Not just intimacy with another human being, but with almost anything. When we are fully present, there's a whole different energy, which could be called love. So sometimes in, I'm in love quite a bit during the day when I go for a walk. In, in the local park, and I see the children at the school, watch the birds. There's a hawk that always seems to catch a squirrel, many squirrels over there, and watching, being really fully present. It's a kind of intimacy. Okay, so that is the scripture reading. Now is another poem that I refer to time to time when I'm a little bit out of paying attention and love, and I'm falling into my um, It's called Autobiography in Five Chapters. One. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm hopeless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, and it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. So 
Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it there. I still fall in. It's a habit. <laughs> My eyes are open. I know where I am. It's my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down another street. I pick it because it's about habits. It's not necessarily falling in the hole near the sidewalk, but falling into behaviors and responses and reactions uh, that uh, we don't like very much and repeating it. Somehow we're just not paying attention at first. Yeah. Or because we're not paying attention, we're living our life on automatic pilot. And so we're kind of run by our habitual patterns and habits. And in being run by what we call our coding, perhaps you could say, that we've been sponging up since we were very young people, we often don't know who we really are. We become this coding or these habits. And who we really are is really a deep clarity. Deep unknowingness. Deep potential. We say we've all got Buddha nature. It's there. But it's not functioning because we have all these habitual patterns. Okay. So... The third verse, the verse, we are what we think. Second is, we've fallen into habitual patterns with the way we think. So we fall in So here's the third kind of story. And it's from our Korean Zen tradition. And it was one of the first stories that Venerable Samusunim, who is the director for this temple, told at a <coughs> retreat. And as I'm finding out, when I, I'm remembering more of those stories from 30 years ago than I am the stories today, my short-term memory is lost from my long-term memory. So I'd like to tell you this one, because I can't help but remember it. It's about um, a man who was a farmer, and he was 
um, out uh, in his, uh, on his farm, weeding. He was doing a lot of weeding. He was out every day, all day. And his wife helped him some of the time, but at this particular time, she was inside preparing a meal. So he was quite industrious. And then he got this urge. And um, he just felt like he wanted a cigarette. <laughs> you know, and his wife didn't like him smoking, you know. So he tried, he smoked, he wasn't anywhere where his wife was. And um, so he just left his tools from taking care of the garden and he went into the forest that was just near the edge of his field. And he was walking, you know, and he lit up his cigarette, and uh, all of a sudden he heard some rustling in, in the forest behind him. And he looked around, and it was a bear. And the bear started to come after him for some reason. <laughs> so he moved very, very quickly, and the bear a little more quickly, right after him. And there was a lot of small trees, but there was a bigger tree. So he ran around behind the tree. And the bear came and was on the other side of the tree, and they were just holding on to each other. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a desperate situation. You know, he immediately regretted leaving the weeding and going for a smoke, but there he was. <laughs> stuck with this bear. And so, um, there, he was there for a while and he heard this sound. It's coming from somewhere in the forest. Shinyo jangur te darani namuratana darayaya This we chanted around here. It's called the Great Compassion Darni. He knew it must be a monk from the local monastery out doing his walking and chanting. It was his devotional practice, this monk. And so the monk got a little close to him, you know, there, and looks up. You know, what a sight. Can you imagine yourself, <laughs> you know, walking in the forest and, and then being, and see this monk and this bear holding each other around the tree. So the farmer sees the monk, 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 can you please help me? The monk said, no, what want? He said, could you please hold this bear while I go and finish my cigarette? <laughs> 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 and the monk was, he was pretty innocent guy, you know? Well, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> he will hold the monk. He will hold the bear. So he, they maneuvered around, and uh, he, there was the monk and the bear, and the, and the farmer grabbed his cigarettes and ran right back to the field and started hoeing like mad with the weeds. <laughs> and he was feeling really guilty because he <laughs> left the monk and the bear. <laughs> 
And then, of course, he's feeling guilty because his wife usually came around this time to see how he was doing. So he's hoeing, weeding, in more than uh, one way, no? Yeah. And then there's this passion by the side of the forest. And he looked over. And what do you know? Here comes the bear on all fours, galloping. And who's on his back? The monk. <laughs> and the monk is waving. <laughs> having a wonderful time. And the farmer said, and I said too, because I didn't understand the point of the story, how did he do that? I mean the monk. The farmer was just stuck there. But somehow the monk was having a wonderful time with the bear. So don't we all kind of want to have a wonderful time with the bear? <laughs> well, bear being the metaphor for, you know, all of the things in our life that get us like this on the other side of the tree. And so I thought a lot about that over the years, and I tell it because I always think that situations can be turned around with some effort and some good attention in ways that surprise us. Okay, so that story. Now, about on the 6th of December, a member of this uh, Ann Arbor Sangha went to start a pilgrimage in India. She had She's wonder, she had been the assistant dean of the law school at the University of Michigan, and she'd had other jobs. She's a very talented person. The last couple of years, she just couldn't figure out what she wanted to do with her life. So she'd done many different things helping various organizations, but she decided that she would go to India, and she would take a six-week pilgrimage walk around um, uh, a river in the northwest part of the country. It was a typical pilgrimage route, apparently. So she had six weeks, she's still doing it. And some of the other Sangha members who knew about this decided that we should do a pilgrimage too. You know? Although we weren't going to go to India and we weren't going to leave home. So what could we, what kind of a pilgrimage could we do? It's kind of like somehow making a New Year's resolution, you know, to keep for six weeks, or to let go of some defilement for six weeks. So we, I came up with, um, it seems so insubstantial, but it's what, um, seemed to be something that would suit me. I, I said, I'm going to be softening for six weeks. <laughs> In our tradition, you might have heard some of the... Um, in some of the poetry, 
we have phrases, even in some scriptures and some of our liturgy, that um, a stone man begins to walk. A wooden woman begins to dance. A stone lion roars. And what that is about, getting out of the habitual patterns and really functioning, dancing. So letting go of the habitual patterns. So that's what I thought my softening should be. I didn't know what other word to go, to use. So while Rupal was there in India doing her pilgrimage, I was practicing my softening. Wasn't going that well, but I, <laughs> what I didn't think. Of course, we're always making judgments, which is something I have to stop, soften out. You know, in a certain mm. I um, watched a movie and did a lot of uh, crying. I was um, doing. There's a really kind of rough fellow in our area that I have a hard time sort of be relating to, and he's had uh, a lot of trouble with his family. So his whole life has kind of grown up from that. And I'm never quite sure what to say to him. He, he's a little snappy. And uh, reacts quickly. Anyway, he was going back to his family for Christmas. And I just decided I was going to soften instead of to be in fear mode with him all the time. And I touched him, which is fair for me to do, and I said, I sure hope you have a wonderful family Christmas, at least a little better than it's ever been before. <laughs> and it, it was, that sounds crazy that that was, was a big thing, but it was for me to be able to and there was a whole kind of softening in the way then that we interacted. I just had never had the courage, because I think when we take on these things, it takes a lot of courage. It takes new behavior, and that's hard sometimes. So I was working away with this softening process and writing a few notes in a journal. One of our residents, who's on our Temple Stay program, in a morning discussion, talked about a program that some of you might have heard about before. It's called, it's, uh, called Ohonopononopono. And it's, a, it's um, a way of working with things um, that Hawaiians use. And it, it was focused around a doctor who was a psychiatric doctor, and he worked with the criminally, criminally insane. And what he did was he read their files, and over and over again he would read them, and he would say, as he was reading them, these words. Well, I can remember them, I think. Thank you. I'm sorry. I forgive you. I love you. 
So apparently he went through all these files a lot. And I thought, well, he's looking at whatever and he's forgiving them and telling them that he loves them and he's sorry and that, those four things. But then I found out, no, it was what he was doing to himself. What happens is when he read the files, they made him react in a certain way. He had a bunch of stuff in it. His habitual patterns came up. His judgment came up. His dislike came up. Even his anger came up when he read about all of these people. And so he said, thank you. I'm sorry. I forgive you. I love you. To himself. And I thought, that is softening. He's working with his habit, and which, if he works with them and they soften, it will change his perspective on those people. And apparently, according to the test, it changed all of the criminally insane people, which doesn't, like, I think, oh, I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> But whenever I, this is a Buddhist thing, you have to be kind of a shit detector. So if you hear a teaching and you think, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know? The best thing to do is to try it and see. Our Buddhist practice is all about self-help, not other help. <clears throat> that we are responsible for getting ourselves out of the hole. We are responsible for dealing with the perceptions that have built up with the rose-colored glasses that we wear so that we can get down there to Buddha nature or to pure clarity, the great unknowing mind, and respond to the world. And since we are all connected, our work like that affects everybody. Well, I don't know if I believe it. You know, when I see a look in your face, some of your face, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but again, so I decided to work with this practice. Thank you. So what I have to do is watch what comes up for me. Irritating stuff. This or that. It's all the time. I didn't realize how irritated I get. I'm sort of a little bit of a facade because I seem to be happy most of the time. But I actually have a lot of irritating little things that keep coming up. So I said, thank you for coming up and let me see you. I'm sorry. I don't even really know what I'm sorry, but I'm trying the formula. <laughs> and I've been, I've been doing it, and sometimes the doctor who is who worked with me, said, I looked him up on YouTube because I wanted to find out more. And um, he said, that You just have to say it. You just have to. It doesn't matter if you don't even have anyone to say it to. That the way you are working your mind will have its effect if you are saying words like that. I love you. 
just been feeling it myself. So what should I do? You know, the world calls. So I'm doing that. I'm doing it and I find that I get called to do it all the time. Like right now, I look at your faces, you know, and we do often this. We look at each other's faces, and stuff comes by. <laughs> Again, you know, all kinds of things go through our mind. Thank you. Look at me. <laughs> and a lot of times I just have to say, okay. <laughs> so, I also... So that's one little practice that happened from this pilgrimage that I'm still in the middle of, well, until the 17th of January. That's when the six weeks will be, will be up. And another practice that, that I found myself doing is a devotional practice. And I don't know if you think of yourself as a devotional person. And I didn't really think of myself as a devotional person. I kind of think of a devotional person as someone who goes around doing hapchong and maybe praying a lot and um, bowing a lot. And I, I'm, I am not that person most of the time. So I decided to look up devotional because I thought I started to do some devotional things. My grandkids aren't near me. So I put their pictures up on a little altar I have in my room. I, I want to care for a lot of beings, birds and bees. We have bees as a temple. And I'm particularly <coughs> concerned about some particular animals and uh, actually the whole ecosystem. So I made the pictures and I have this, to me, really touching altar where I kneel down every night before I go to bed. I used to do it from bed, but I found I went to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so just by moving myself beside the bed and kneeling in front of these pictures, I began to do some uh, little devotions. And this is what devotion Devotion, when I looked it up, means an act of prayer or supplication, a strong love or affection, and its synonym is fidelity, faithfulness to something to which one is bound by a pledge, by duty, or by a sense of what is right or appropriate. So, well, I like that, you know? to do a little devotion with what's really important to my heart, to my mind, every day. So I've been doing it for about eight months now. And now I've, it's part of my, my pilgrimage and my softening to spend about 10 or 15 minutes each evening doing that before I retire. So 
So when I ask myself, what should I do? I've been sharing it with you. It's my contribution. I mean, I do live in a temple, and so I work with people that we found with our mind. But I needed to, to do more. So I like you, at the end of this 2017, it maybe doesn't seem so precarious here in Canada, but in the United States, it seems particularly precarious, and in our world, I think it is too, is to think of what will you do? What should you do? So I'm not saying to go across the seas or doing any of that, but just in your life, moment by moment. Can you be the person who starts to really see things as they're coming up and saying thank you and works with them, etc.? We're falling and staying in holes more than we need to. So when we do things for ourselves, like this doctor in Hawaii did, we do them for others. Let's get going. <laughs> okay? Okay. okay. <laughs>